Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway and joined as always by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk. Today we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of Ridley Scott's second film, Alien. A film that has sparked, I don't know, four or five sequels at least, if you don't count the Alien v. Predator series, sub-series. Uh, and then we're going to move on to a discussion about de-aging in repre- in. Uh, in uh, anticipation of the Irishman, no top five this week because Lee couldn't think of his own top five. I'm glad you were able to join us on this one because there was a there was a point at which you weren't going to be able to join us, and I'm glad you did because I, I went back and I listened to our uh, episode on Blade Runner and Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, okay. um, yeah. and we discussed something on that podcast that I think is actually relevant here and that I thought about while I was watching Alien, um, which was that uh, we felt, or at least I think I felt that like the you know the more the more interesting ideas, the, 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 what's what's interesting about Blade Runner. Um, as a film is is not really the story it's more kind of the mise-en-scene whatever if you really if you want to go back and listen to that you can but um and i sort of had a similar thought about alien it's a little bit different and i, and I hope we can and so my, my my question for you guys is this to me the interesting things about alien are are is are not the the primary plot i think it's an interesting story i'm sure it was very scary and kind of um, maybe groundbreaking at the time, this idea of an alien on a ship, but you know, it's very difficult to go back and look at a film like Alien, um, especially since you know, given how influential it was, um, without seeing it in the context of you know, forty years of people trying to mimic it or its own sequels, right? Um, but the ideas that I really like in this movie are the ones that are I wouldn't I don't want to say subtle they're not metaphor we we've discussed that in the past it's not that it's that they're just like in the background and I, my question for you guys is you know is this the best way to go about making I mean is this the best do you guys first of all one do you agree with me is am, am I right about that are are the more interesting things the elements surrounding the suspense and is this sort of the best way to go about it so I think what fascinates me about Alien and the Alien franchise uh, as well, and I don't even know if this is exactly what you're talking about, Chapin, but it is kind of stuff that's on the background. It's this like mythology, this world that exists within this movie that barely mentions that mythology. Right. Well, the you first know, one, they, they don't talk about it very much. Right. And, and if, the, if no other movies were ever made about this, would we know anything about this mythology or this this world that is built? And I think that's so cool. And I don't know. I I don't know that I've ever really appreciated that as much as I did this time around. And but I think you, that has. 
do you appreciate it because you know the other ones? Because that's just, what I it, wonder. Yeah, this, that's what I wonder. It, by itself, in a bubble, I don't think you would be like, "Oh, I wonder." I wonder about where they found those eggs. Right. I'm that's what I wonder because it, it hasn't been too long since I've I've caught up with a lot of the sequels to this movie, which, and especially the newer sequels, really dive into uh, this world, the the post Prometheus uh, right. movies. Right. Well, there's only one, but yeah. Right. The but anyway, I I just that was the kind of the question I was struggling with. I was like, would I be as interested in this mythology if it weren't if I didn't know anything about it from these other movies that aren't as good? But that is what makes this so good. Like I, I we talk all the time about the like unspoken pieces and the and the questions you ask afterwards. Like leaving Alien, you're thinking, what the hell was that huge abandoned ship that was on that planet that they saw right. before they found the eggs? Like that. Those are the cool, like the cool questions about this movie that I think are really interesting. Because you're right, Chapin. the The story of the alien is scary and suspenseful, and I think well done. But it's not really all that innovative. I mean, again, maybe in 1979 it was, but for I mean, us look, now, it's not. If you just break it down, I mean, it, it's basically uh, a slasher movie. Where people are the the biggest difference yeah, is people are trapped. One at a time, yeah. They're trapped on the, in this place, and it makes sense. It's not right. like it's a haunted uh, house know, movie, as we, it, as we it's a haunted yeah. house, but they can't leave the house. Like a lot of others, they you'd be like, "Well, just leave the house, just go somewhere else." Right? They're um, trapped in this. In space, they're trapped yeah. here, so that make that gives it that little extra element uh, of uh, suspense for sure. But I don't know if. I, I did find it like watching it this time, knowing knowing what I had known about the the sequels. I did wish there was a little bit more to it than just the slasher movie aspect. Yeah, but see, I think there is. That's what I'm saying. Is that I mean, I think we and it's, it'd be interesting. I, I think it's be it would be helpful to provide a little context. I mean, this is two years after Star Wars is this enormous hit, surprises everybody. And that's a film where, like Lee was suggesting, you know, a world is built for you. You're you understand it fully. You understand this history um, about the Jedi, blah blah blah, the Empire. But with Alien, it's a very sort of, you know, it's it's a small world. It's it's you know six. It's, a, it's like the notes that they wrote down before they wrote the script. Like it's, right, and and you know. But this idea of like truckers in space, you know, like I love that about it. And I love thinking about that world and a world where these guys have just been, I don't know, are they, have they been drilling, you know, in some off world uh, mine for uh, years and now they're making the journey back and they've, they're, they're towing something. And so, and there's the argument between, um, you know, the two the two mechanics and the rest of the crew about, like, you know, their shares. And I just think all that stuff is so well done. And I think the I think another thing that you see expanded on in, in the in the following movies, it's interesting to, to see a movie like this and then see what other filmmakers, you know, capitalize on in future films. But this idea of this, like, evil corporation. Um, right. And Which the, they go into in aliens a lot more they, which... they do and this idea of the company man and the robot and the sphere of technology and the connection of technology to the um you know to the company in the form of ash uh played by ian home 
But the technology, too, that they represent is so gritty, mm-hmm. which is interesting for something that's so futuristic and they're able to accomplish all this uh, all this stuff as far as, uh, you know, space travel and, uh, you know, hibernation and robots, uh, everything's so sort of raw and gritty, uh, which I think is a, a very smart choice. Right. Everything's kind of wet and damp and, and sticky. Yeah, very wet. Everything's wet. It's like, how how is this, how is this spaceship functioning? When it's essentially, you know, but it, under in water all yeah. the time. I mean, I guess, and that, so that's this is kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking, what I'm, what I was getting at in my opening question is that, and and Lee, you you touched on it a little bit with, you know, what is the world of the alien? How did the alien get there? Um, but all these things, to me, they're just the they are so below the surface. They take so many, you know, years and years of viewing this movie on my part, at least to really understand and even like think about where these things come from and even ask these questions like they aren't on the surface. And so, you know, in a more traditional sci-fi film, like, I mean, even like alien, even like the sequel to this film, which is also quite well regarded and I think is also a great film or star Wars, which is obviously, you know, beloved, like you know, people, they're more direct about the world and, or, or, or whatever. I mean, so I, I love it, but I'm wondering what you guys think. Oh, uh, it's, I wrote down that I think this movie rewards multiple viewings more than most movies do. Mm-hmm. And, that's for a number of reasons, a few of which that I think we'll get into later when we talk a little bit more specifically about this movie. But, you know, I, again, I think it comes back to, I feel like we've been talking about this since the, um, Jesus, how come we can never remember the name of that shitty Natalie Portman movie? Oh, Annihilation. <laughs> Annihilation. <laughs> I feel like we've been talking about this since just that movie. This, with just called the shitty Natalie Portman movie. <laughs> the, um... Yeah, which ironically, me and you, Chapin, didn't hate. But anyway, right. um, the 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 less is more approach, like telling you less, letting you figure everything out for yourself. I I just think we all kind of collectively feel like is a really good approach. And the reason this movie works so well on repeated viewings is because, and again, it's all it's impossible to separate how we would feel if we had never seen the sequels that dabbled into this world more and give us more clues about it. But to to watch this movie and have the have the advantage of being able to pay attention to that shit being there and asking those questions and then, you know, being able to see all those eggs and think about how they need to attach to another life form to live. And I know that because of what you learn in Aliens, but, like, you know, these are things that you you don't know, and you're as confused as the characters in this movie about what this species is and how it operates and how it lives. And I think that's what leads to the suspense and intrigue of this movie is kind of the not knowing anything about what world you're living in and where this thing comes from. The movie uses that to its advantage really well, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it does all that really well, and I no, like normally would agree that sort of less is more and you know uh give give less context especially when it comes to like suspense and stuff but i i felt this time around watching it that i wanted more mm. i wanted more information i wanted to know more about these characters uh it, I mean, it was to I the feel point like that's 
fair. I, I yeah. Well, it was to the point where I did. I was like, do do they know about aliens? Are aliens a thing that they've ever come across? Is this the first one? Like, I I needed to have a little bit more context, um, to really get invested in this story because essentially, like I said before, it's it's just a slasher movie where we're picking them off one by one until we figure out who's going to be our sort of lead character and who's going to ultimately survive. Um, and it got a little bit, honestly, a little bit boring w- with that sort of stuff, especially, again, here's the context that having seen Aliens, which I think is a better movie, um, which does go into sort of the back story to a lot of this. So for a long time, I always felt like Aliens was a movie I preferred too, but I think that's interesting Jeremy, because Chapin brought this up, and I'm glad you did, about our discussion on the Blade Runner podcast, where it's much less about the story and more about what Ridley Scott does. And I think Ridley Scott is a director that maybe you are a bigger fan of, Chapin, because of that. Me and Jeremy have always been a little bit more, um, you know, script and story. Because of of what? Well, Well, me and Jeremy have always been a little bit more focused on the screenplay and the story and how that develops and how our characters are developed, where I think you have always sort of had this admiration for the director and the art of directing. Not that we don't, but you can appreciate a movie like Blade Runner or like Alien for that reason. And, I mean, this is as good a time to get into it as any, but there are so many things about this movie that are just so ahead of its time and fascinating. The lighting, the set design, the use of sound, all of these director attributes that are put into this movie that I think are just fascinating that you can make the argument that who cares if this is just a slasher movie and it gets boring because the characters are just getting kind of picked off in order of importance until we get to the end when we get our hero. I mean, I agree. I I think that's all there. And I think by itself, it is pretty remarkable. Um, But I don't know. I mean, did am I the only one that felt like a well, little no, bit I'm like with, let down? I'm with you. I, I think that's always been maybe my issue with this movie. I mean, like oddly, and this isn't this does never. I, this movie's never been bad to me, but in some way, shape, or form, I have always found this movie oddly forgettable. I can never. I, I've seen it so many times, and I can never. Every time I go back to watch it, I feel like I'm seeing it for the first time or the first time in a long time, I can never really totally remember what it is I do like about it or what is good about it. And I think that's because the story isn't particularly memorable. And that's something that I always focus on. I think you're the same way, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. But this time around, uh, Chapin, I was very cognizant of that conversation we had on the Blade Runner podcast about Ridley Scott and the things that he does and that his movies are very much about the director. And I paid a whole lot more attention to that. And I think I admired this movie a lot more this time around because of that. But Jeremy, you're right. Like watching this movie as an audience member that appreciates developed characters and structured screenplays, there is something left to be desired here. Wait, 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 wait. But I just, dis- I really disagree with that. I mean, this isn't Blade Runner. Like you, I, you could make that argument. I mean, it was interesting when we did this podcast. Because- there's more, stru- there's more structure to this than Blade Runner, I think. But yeah, it's falls into the same category i think in terms of a movie that is much more focused on what the director does yeah it's not that worried about the story it's worried about this it's worried about scaring its audience and it's worried about uh 
you know, what Ridley Scott and the the set designers and the lighting and the cinematography is doing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I would agree with that. But I, I, I do think, you know, we did the, <clears throat> we did the Blade Runner podcast and then I think either you or you and I, Jeremy did the, um, did the Ant-Man and the Wasp podcast. And it was interesting that those two things became back to back because terrible films. Yeah. Like, well, well, in the sense that like they both kind of lacked a, a, a structure. We went into, we, 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 we got into that with, um, with, uh, Jeremy and Ant-Man and the Wasp and that like, you know, I didn't feel like these Marvel movies had those, had the kind of tropes that Jeremy really responds to one most importantly being like a, a, a firm, well thought out structure as part of the screenplay. And then we went into, and then I think Lee and I did Blade Runner without you, Jeremy. And it was like, okay, well I, I could under, I would understand it. And we, and we discussed this very dynamic, this, like, I seem to appreciate this stuff a little bit more than you guys do. And, and my guess is Jeremy, you probably aren't the biggest fan of Blade Runner. I, I disagree though. I think that this film is a perfect combination of both. It's kind of, I mean, for its time was probably pretty high concept. And as much as you can, you kind of start to, I think through the kind of leftover tropes of the seventies with the kind of overlapping dialogue, the seemingly kind of realistic um, interaction between people, the, the, the little bit of sort of class um, tension that happens between them and through really great acting, I think you get a sense of who these people are um, as much as you can before they're, you know, dispatched by the alien. I feel like this movie has a lot, like at least in terms of what we're discussing right now, has a lot of similarities to Jurassic Park because you guys remember when we talked about that, you know, Jeremy pointed out that the story is kind of lame. Like it turns into a monster movie really quick and then that's just it. Like, you know, it's just about surviving that monster. But what we admire so much about Jurassic Park is how Spielberg was able to elevate all of that into a movie that at least I know you and me, Chapin, think is great. And, you know, at the same time, you also have some similarities to something like Jaws, where there's some subtext that has to do with class and there's, you know, there's all these other elements and then this, yeah, but this elevation Jaws, that Spielberg brought to it. I, I'm not comparing the quality of the films. So I'm just developed. I, that's not what, I, that's not my point though. My point is that there's, there's all these, like all, it all comes back to a monster movie with these three movies. And it's the things on the periphery that either elevate it or take it down a notch for you. And I think the things on the periphery and alien whether it's the direction or whether it's the world in the mythology and the backstory, I think do elevate this movie. And Chapin, I don't know. I, it sounds like you are giving the story more credit than me and Jeremy are um, here. Well, yeah, Is that right? yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think it's become a little rote since it came out 40 years ago, but only because it's been so, um, you know, copied sure. and 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 um, influential on other things, and so it's hard for us to separate what it was like to see it in 1979. I, I mean, I still think. That, I mean, you don't, but you don't think this is like just you know, a, this is going to be an oversimplification, but like introduce protagonists, introduced antagonists, 
<laughs> kill antagonist. Like, I, I feel like that's kind of what this movie is. Like, it's just, you know, three acts of, you know, it's a pretty basic is story. Good. And and that is good. Like, I think it what's amazing good. about this is how how simple this movie is, but, right. in, but at the same time, like, it, it's more detailed than we can even even comprehend when as we learn more about this this world which is fascinating to me look my my complaint is not that it's like i like how simple it is and i like the story and i i I guess my only complaint this time around is i wanted sort of i wanted more because it is so detailed in its uh representation of the ship and sort of uh, you know that grittiness I talked about, and all that—you just felt like you were there. So what I wanted was I also wanted to get to know those characters a little bit more for a little bit longer before it became just a quick sort of, uh, you know, one by one killing show. Well, so that's interesting because this—I was actually surprised how long it is before you really get to the alien in this movie like I don't know what the the time was but you know I always remember this movie as you know they they wake up they land on the planet and then the alien is there but there's actually like a decent amount of movie before it bursts out of John Hurt's stomach um and you know that aspect starts so I don't know I just think like that what's what's interesting about the simplicity of this movie is or I guess I don't know I guess what's so hard is that we wouldn't be having this conversation if it, if it if we didn't know what we do from the sequels like what w- would this movie be better Jeremy with more details I, I just wonder if that's true because I think we only I are think no. we only I are mean, saying that because Jeremy, we but... know well because he said he thinks that's the case I I just we only are saying that because we know that there are more details about this world. And I, I can't say that I totally disagree with you, Jeremy. I think knowing what I know, having some of that sprinkled into the original Alien might have made it more interesting for me. But I don't know that it would have been the movie that it is. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it – part of me, I'm talking from both sides of my mouth. Like, I don't know necessarily know if it should, but it's, it's just how – I'm just responding to how I felt this time watching it. Right. Like I, I, it's probably smarter, and and it probably did the right thing with with how it kind of kept it as simple a story as it did. But also having you know seen it multiple times and knowing the sequels, I did feel a tinge of wanting to know a little bit more about those people that um, were on that ship. Like I, even even Signe Weaver, the babe, <laughs> as my old. Uh, film professor used to say um, we didn't get to really know her at yeah, all so what I mean you, you first of all okay I mean I, I don't mean to be so brash but like uh, it's okay good that you're brash we need a little bit of that it's just that like I think this goes back to m- my feelings when I watched the when we did the matrix in the spring you know, it was like, wow, what a what a world they built here. What an interesting, unexplored world they built here. And then they made <laughs> the sequels. <laughs> and, I mean, yeah, and you could either argue, there's a couple arguments. You could argue 
they fucked it up or maybe it wasn't quite the rich right uh, nuanced world we thought it was maybe it was um kind of superficial um and i think you what's what's really interesting about the alien films is that is that for the most part at least the first four the quadrilogy as it's known are four which is what alien one two and three and then and alien resurrection Covenant? resurrection alien resurrection all yeah. right sorry the uh, so, the jean pierre amelie exactly right. <laughs> and there are four distinct filmmakers and the first two are awesome and the second two are pretty <laughs> middling you know to say the least um yep. and i i think y- you you stick a, a a filmmaker like james cameron after this film and you see that there's so much more to develop but he you he also brings his own interests into that film it's like wow um you know, the, the first film is kind of like Truckers in Space, and it's a little bit of a haunted house movie. And the second one is like this straight action Marine movie. He actually brings in Marines to be in the film. So I, I think that shows that I think there's quite a bit of depth to that film. But it's also like if you look at this film on its own, which I think we're trying to do here, I think it's it leaves you it leaves me being like wanting to know more in a really good way which is how we always talk about leaving things and i think i don't know i i don't i don't want and 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 once you drill down on prometheus and alien covenant like those films are more explorations of this film in a weird way because they're prequels and it's like i don't really want to know this this isn't interesting to me right yeah i get what you're saying chapin and i and i i I tend to agree with you. I just wish this time around I hadn't felt a li- it, it, something felt a little bit empty to me mm. that I w- wish could have been filled and maybe I'm not sure what that was what that would have been and uh, my gut is to say it would have been maybe just a, a couple more scenes with those characters interacting um somehow bringing some sort of storyline uh, to that that wasn't there, but you know it's a great film. I don't want to, uh, you know, I'm not complaining about it, but I, 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 that's just how I felt this time around. Well, can we dive into some more specifics? Maybe that'll enlighten us a little bit too. Um, just because I have a few notes on some, you know, love hate things I have with this movie. Um, right from the beginning, I'll just start off here. Like the opening credit scene in this movie, which I never really remembered having a feeling one way or another for is so cool. Yeah. When they, when they, with the, how they type out alien. And I think the pacing of that is so consistent with the movie that I think is really interesting. But then immediately following that, the odd dissolves that they do when they're all waking up, I thought was weird. It felt like a, felt like a, um, like try to, how can we rush through this scene? And maybe there's an opportunity to introduce some, you know, characters or some relationships or something like that. But Mm. um, I'm obviously picking out some minute things here, but these are just some notes that I made. Um, The other thing that I, and I mentioned this before, having seen this movie multiple times, some things that I just really like about is knowing the alien is, is in the pod when it's sitting right in front of Sigourney Weaver, I think is, better than not knowing it's there Hmm. at the end. What do you guys think? 
No. Uh, is that do you I lose something no, there? I, by I that? also like, I also wonder why it doesn't move for so long. It seems so wily. Yeah, you and, asked that and, question too. Yeah. Yeah, and lucid and, and able to get around so quickly throughout the ship, and then it's just sort of it's <laughs> sitting there at the end there, like oh, this is a comfy spot. Yeah, because it's trying to get out of there. It doesn't want to be noticed. Right, but I feel like it could have got out of there pretty quick if it, it wanted to. It was stuck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> just trust him. Yeah, just um, stuck. But then also, like, I like I like the anticipation of scenes that I know are coming. Like, you know Ash is going to go crazy. You know the John Hurt's stomach is going to explode. Like, I, I found myself listening to the conversation that he was having while he's eating right before that happens and I just think right. that's stuff that you don't pay as close attention to when you haven't seen it before. I mean it's it is definitely one, one of those scenes where if you haven't seen it it's definitely the the way to go. Like that's what it was designed for the the, the first viewer, but right. it does have that effect where oh boy, here it comes. Yeah, and I think that's cool and I think that's cool about this movie. And I don't know that all movies can pull that off. You know, you know like, take the the jump scare in Jaws when when Ben Gardner's head pops out. Like, I always know that's coming, but I don't I don't watch that scene with like a a heightened level of anticipation or like a heightened level of excitement because I know that's coming. Like that scene is no better or worse having seen Jaws a million times. But here, I like I oddly find the scene more interesting, even if it's not as impactful, knowing that that is coming. Hmm. And I think that that is kind of all throughout this movie. And I find, like, the same with Harry Dean Stanton's death scene. Like, when that little dangle behind his head before the alien drops down, which, by the way, is the coolest shot and coolest, like, first, one of the coolest firsts, like, viewings of a monster in a movie, um, I think. But that's the same thing. Like, you just, you know what's going to happen. I know exactly how this scene is going to play out, but it's just fun watching with that level of anticipation. I forgot I mean, how quick quickly the alien got big this time around. I thought there was like stages to it, but it was it went from the little thing to giant. I yeah. I've always had an issue with that. I've always had an issue with that and I've always had and this is a, a separate little piece, but I've always had an issue with how I'm um, how I've been unable to navigate the ship. And I wonder if that's intentional. This definitely like, am I not ever But like would I enjoy this movie more if I knew where I was in in relation to everything else in the ship? Or no. Is, but why? <laughs> like, well, maybe because then you'd know how close she is to getting back to the pod to get away. I I I don't know. I like having a sense of space in movies, so it bothers me that I have no idea what that ship looks but like. We talked about this with don't. with Blade Runner. Like he he's shooting in that same way with those you know tight anamorphic lenses and you just have no sense of where everything is which i I think is really effective i don't like it i don't Uh, like it in blade runner either oh podcast over well let's talk about that but i i mean it could just be a preference thing but i that's always been an issue with blade runner is i I I don't navigate the world and it's something that people talk about a lot which is that um uh you know, having a sense of space, particularly as it pertains to action, right? Like knowing where things are and, you know, this this sort of new wave of 
Paul Greengrass shooting action where you have no idea what's happening um, is is distracting for people and it's hard and and you you it's nice to have a sense of space like um, I was just rewatching I just got a really beautiful 4K Blu-ray of The Shining and there's that scene where the guy is giving Jack and and uh, his family the tour of the hotel and it's like it's just setting you up to understand the hotel the, the space. Um, before all the action begins, right? So you know where you are at all times. I mean, I think that's, if you think of that particular scene in general compared to Alien, like he's shooting with very wide spherical lenses and it gives you this really nice sense of space and laid out in a way that where everything is. But I think that's intentional. Whereas I, I, I what, what Ridley Scott's doing here is making you feel claustrophobic in this enormous space. Yeah. And when you're when you well, combine that with the fact that there's, you know, a, a creature trying to kill you on it, it, it's even more stressful. And I think that is a perfect example of when something is done perfectly, and you just don't like it. You know what I mean? I mean, I, you know. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't I, know it that makes me mad to hear you say that, but yeah. But Chapin, this is like in a perfect. This is also an example of how you appreciate that type of thing more than I do. Right. And and I think that's totally fair. I mean, I just think like, you know, you you criticize me sometimes when I nitpick how the story gets going. Like, how come this had how come this happened? This made no sense and this wasn't explained and you just point out, "Well, who gives a shit?" Like, you know, but that's a story structure piece that I need. Where here it's the, you know, it's it's the opposite. It's this, you know, these are pieces that are done intentionally and perfectly, but I need a sense of space. I need to know where my characters are in order to follow this story better. And in this case, sure. you can't. And I just sure. doesn't. I, I mean, don't know that it makes me dislike the movie or, or like the movie less, rather. But so it's what a did piece you think about, I struggle with about that scene, which utilizes space for suspense, where he has the little very uh, elementary radar of where the alien is and that's just that little dot that all of a sudden gets closer, closer, closer to him. Um, does that work for you? Yeah, that works perfectly. That's a, that's cause that's a storytelling like tool that, you know, we've seen used before where, you know, it, and it builds suspense so well, like you can't see what's coming, but you have this thing that tells you that it's nearby. I think that's great, but that doesn't tell me, what the ship looks like or where he actually is. I mean, he's in the vents, but that, but then he's above him in the vents, but I don't know that, you know what I mean? Like it all comes back to the same thing. Like where the hell is he? <laughs> I still don't know where he is. Right. But I mean, it's clearly done for that suspense reason, because if you don't know where he is, then they don't know. Then where they he don't. Is. And that's, and again, and I think that's perfect. And I think that's also the same point I made before about, we don't know where this alien came from as audience members. These characters don't know where this alien comes from. They don't know this world this world that existed. And I think that's a storytelling choice that was made that I think upon repeated viewings and upon seeing the sequels is a really, really effective choice to make. I don't think we're ever going to be able to determine whether or not it works perfectly as in this movie alone because we know what we know regarding the sequels. I think the only way to know that would have been if we had seen this movie, you know, in 1979 on the big screen, which is my biggest regret in life to this point that I haven't yet. Seen Alien? On the big screen. 
invented a time machine to go back to 1979. To no, see I just want to see it in theaters. I really want, well, yeah, that'd be cool, but I really just want to see it in theaters, which I know it's played in theaters before and I just haven't been able to, but I think this movie would, Chapin, you probably have, I'm guessing, seen this in the theater I haven't, I've seen Aliens, I have not seen Aliens. Oh, really? See, I just think this movie, more, like, more than most would just be amazing in the theater. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's expand on that. Film like this, a film like Jaws, I feel like we, we really have missed out on experiencing it the way a lot of people did when they first saw it. I mean, do you guys, were you guys scared sure. by alien? Uh, I mean, maybe, well, maybe can I tell you the first, well, can I tell you the first time I saw alien? I told this to Jeremy. Actually, I don't know for sure that it was the first time, but if it wasn't, it was the first time in a long time. So I hadn't remembered really anything about it. I watched it in like the most primitive days of Netflix instant streaming. Huh. So it was like in like you know two eighty p. No, I'm <laughs> wasn't it always HD? I don't think so. It was such bad quality. Ugh. It was so I don't know that sick. I really got a good experience my first time watching Alien. That was the first time you saw it. So that's what I can't. Remember. It was either the first or the second time. It's possible I saw it on DVD before then, but um, either way, like I, I my first time seeing it, and that's why I brought this up before. Like it, for a long time after multiple viewings, this movie was sort of forgettable. It only was until the last couple times where I really started <sighs> to appreciate it. And look, I think that's more my own fault than, than the movies. I think I probably didn't give it, you know, the attention that it deserved or I watched it on, you know, Netflix streaming in 2010. Um, in, but in 180p? In 180p <laughs> on my laptop. Ugh. Um, but that's beside the point. Like, what you're asking, you know, that the experience of seeing some of these movies for the first time, I think, I just, I, I don't think seeing movies for the first time, like that experience exists period anymore. Like, yeah, I was, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think basically the internet has killed the, those moments because, um, it's almost nearly impossible not to, to sort of get a taste of reactions via the internet. Well, fine. I mean, you I mean maybe, av- maybe you can't go into it, it this, unadulterated, yeah. but, but yeah. Okay. This, this will, this I think is a perfect segue into the other conversation we're planning on having here. Um, so if you guys don't mind, I'll lead us into that. Well, the, the only um, thing I would say, okay, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Well, okay. So pretty soon we are all going to go see the Irishman the much-anticipated Irishman, directed by Martin Scorsese. Um, It is officially released in limited theaters. We're going to get to it, and then it comes out on Netflix at the end of the month. Uh, And it features a a de-aging technology that has essentially made Robert De Niro and Al Pacino look younger in the film. And... To be fair, we haven't seen... um, we haven't seen really like a like we. I don't think we can judge it fairly from from the trailer. So let's just say yeah, that. Yeah, supposedly there's a shot in the trailer where you can see it, but it, you know it's not enough to really tell. So so this could be an experience where we go in and see in this. You know, we I guess Benjamin Button did something kind of similar, but you know, let's just pretend that movie didn't exist. Well, I mean, the Marvel movies have been doing it a lot, right? But yeah. anyway, so. Yeah, right. 
Um, but anyway, so this is a this is an example of something perhaps new that we can go and see, or at least relatively new that we can go and see. You know, famous Oscar-winning actors that we admire and love their work, and we're going to see them in Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, both as their you know current age and de-aged. And is this something that we're going to walk away from and have a reaction to? You know, I I just don't think. I think the new thing about movies that you that is that tries to garner a reaction is technology. Avatar was an example. Like, watch how good the technology and the CGI is, and now the de aging and the Irishman. Like, it, that's what people are reacting to. And when in the days of Alien and Jaws, it was, you know, kind of the the realism and the scares that were created. And if you want to go all the way back. And to give you some film history, the train coming into the station with, you know, George Millier's films. Like, I just think... Mm, pretentious. Yeah, you know, that's that's gone. That's gone. Like, te- the technology doesn't interest us anymore because we see it on in video games and, and TV shows and on the internet. Like, it's just... That's never going to leave an impression. Well, here's my... Like, I hate it. Um... And I don't wait, mind wait, what, technology. What do you hate? I hate this de-aging thing. I hate this like CGI of acting. That's what I really dislike. Um, because I don't mind technology driving like new innovations for movies. I mean, we've gotten so many over the years, and a lot of them have worked out really well. Uh, and you know, you get to create worlds, and you get stuff like you know, The Lord of the Rings, and and stuff we could never really do. Uh, previous, but I, I, there is something about once you start altering performances uh, beyond what what is needed to like sort of create a character that like a Bilbo Baggins or something like that. Once you okay. have an actor and you need to alter their performance to create something where they look, I don't know, a few years younger. I don't know. It just starts blurring the line for me uh, of, you know, the craft of acting, which for some reason I I, I, I want to keep that separate from technology. I, okay. I, I value that enough that I need it to stay separate from technology. But can you can you elaborate a little bit? Because, like, you know, you nominated Josh Brolin for a fixie, as Thanos and like think about Andy Serkis as Gollum like those those are CGI performances and they're amazing because yeah but you also need that to create uh you know Thanos and Gollum whereas I feel like once you start so you're specifically more the de-aging piece well the de-aging it's like that what I was saying it's leading to this James Dean thing. So, uh, just to explain what's happening is, so apparently James D. Dean is going to play the second lead, second lead in a Vietnam War movie called Finding Jack, where they're going to take a guy who's been dead for sixty-four years and put him in, be just because they can. And okay. it's like that's a good point because what's the point of that? What is the point? Because like you have actors out there that are are alive, you know, first off, and are great actors and they're it's not that it's like taking away jobs from them, but it's like I don't want to see that. I don't want to see the James Dean performance from a guy who's just sitting at his computer figuring out how to make him a mo. I want to see I want to see some acting. Like I really appreciate that 
part of filmmaking, like using your actors as part of the like telling the story. And with this sort of stuff, are you using your actors? Are you using Robert De Niro to tell the story, or are you just trying well, to? cast Robert De Niro to play a portion of the, the movie and then But the thing is De Niro's still so this is what's weird is that and, and I don't but, disagree with you because De Niro's still playing the role in all of this they're just making I him know, look younger I know but he's not the one that's but, emoting but I, what I wonder is like why, why do this in like De Niro is the, the Irishman and De Niro is a perfect example De Niro won an Oscar for playing a younger Marlon Brando in Godfather 2 so why can't somebody play the younger? Exactly. Like I don't. That's what I don't understand. But that's different than the James Dean thing. That's just fucked up. I bet this. That, James, well, I, think, I bet this James Dean thing doesn't happen. There seems to be a lot of pushback against it, and it's by some like company that just seemed to happen to get well, his they, image. Well, they have. They have. Yeah, they yeah. have his rights. Yeah. So I mean, it, it seems what like. What can we it, do with this? <laughs> it, it seems like it. It was planning on really happening, but I. I still. I, I think there's a, a fine line between this James Dean thing and the de-aging thing. Okay, well, well, like, I about agree, doing, like, I, Prince hologram concerts. Like, I, yeah. Well, that's different. That's, that's, different. No, that's the same thing. I think thing. that's the it's same just, thing. But see, Jeremy, here, exactly. but here's the thing, though. Like, I, I mean, I, I think I have a little bit of understanding of how this technology works. Like, the... He did invent it. I did, inv- I did invent the aging. Um <laughs> No, but that 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 when we see a de-aged De Niro, um, when we see the film, hopefully this weekend, we're going to be looking at 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 his performance for the most part. I think there is a fine line because you have a movie like Gemini Man, which you know we didn't end up seeing because it got really horrible reviews, but was on my most anticipated list for a little bit. <laughs> um, and there's a younger, really horrible reviews. <laughs> there's a younger Will Smith and. From the from the sort of behind the scenes pictures, you would think that it was the same type of thing. Like it was uh, Will Smith playing himself, and there was some references. Like he did go in and kind of in a um, you know in a motion capture suit and do some of it. But I think the most most of it is actually the the performance is manipulated and and in many ways wholly animated by animators. And so in that context, that's what I hate. Right, but. I think the thing with the, with the De Niro performance and and what's happening in The Irishman is for the most part going to be, you know, a, a genuine performance. It's just that they're going to, you know, take the wrinkles off of the guy or whatever. All right, can I ask you guys this? You remember when this goes back to I think 2014 where we tried and failed to get the podcast going again and we talked about boyhood um and we tried to now that's how you do it you take those years (laughs) yeah (laughs) they start filming the irishman in 1970 yes that's what it really Um, is that's just what they're not that's what they're not telling us it's a big surprise (laughs) that's why it's been so expensive yeah (laughs) um no we kind of tried to uncover why that strategy worked so well for boyhood and i think we kind of came across the idea that like you never, when you jumped a generation or jumped a, uh, several years, you never had to kind of like reset and reestablish the character that you were looking at because you knew it was the same person. Do you think that they're striving for that with the Irishman? Like, so we bounce back and forth between between eras and we see a young De Niro, we see old De Niro, and we don't ever have to think about who we're watching because it's a different actor. 
Yeah, to me, totally. That, I mean, yeah. I, but why doesn't that? Why is that not a problem in Godfather Two? Like, that's always going to be the movie I come back. To. I haven't seen The Irishman. It's gonna I, based on all the reviews I've. I haven't read any, but just on the scores, the meta scores, it sounds like it's gonna work perfectly. But I'm gonna see, come back look, to Godfather Two, okay, where it seemlessly had these these this act. De Niro play a younger Brando and exactly. never blinked an eye. But okay, here's but Brando wasn't in the rest of the movie, like. You, That's true. You didn't have to compare him to that. And, and I, look, I, I agree with you. I think that worked very well. The, I'll go back to... But you didn't have both, right. You didn't have both. Also, um, I mean, I'll go back to this. One, one thing that has me a little bit worried is you, you mentioned Avatar in your uh, when you introduced this. I mean, I think you hear this a lot, but I believe it with James Cameron, which was, which is that like he had to, he wanted to make the movie for a long time, but he had to wait for the technology to catch up. And I, I believe that. I think that like he made the movie at the right time as soon as he possibly could, because it was just, the technology was just not in a state where you could do it convincingly. And, and I think that, you know, obviously Martin Scorsese is a much better filmmaker than, uh, James Cameron, but his grasp of technology is not the same. We've been, um, we've been doing. We're, we're planning on doing a, a Martin Scorsese retrospective, which we hopefully will do in the next um, month or so. But and so I went back and I, I've been watching like a film like The Aviator, and that movie is filled with visual effects that are not done as very, very well. And um, you know, I I think that, okay, that but, film I mean, can speak for itself does, but i'm just saying not to get too much into it but he also does some really good things with with hugo and that is still to this day the only 3d movie i saw in the theater that was worth seeing in 3d sure so, I, i'm not saying to, i'm not saying scorsese yeah he's not inept but i i guess what i'm what my point is that like you you have to i think as a director and and what the, of of his esteem you have to sort of look at these tools that you have, like Jeremy was saying, and say, like, is this going to take me? Is this going to take my audience out of the movie? Like, are they going to? Are we going to look at Scorsese? Are we going to look at Robert De Niro playing a twenty-year-old and say this isn't right? This is this is totally distracting me. And that I worry a little bit about with with Scorsese. I don't know that he's someone who, you know, understand. Like, I, I, I he made to be someone that just kind of. I don't know. Wants to wants well, no, to. No, that's the an movie. interesting point because he's also you know he's always been the t- the one. I mean, you know, his editor uh, Thelma Schoonmacher. You know, they they sort of famously don't care about continuity, which people think you know takes you out of the movie if he has a cigarette in one shot and then cut back and he doesn't have it anymore. So like maybe he you know watches this and says you know that's weird. De Niro's twenty years old in this scene. He doesn't grasp the idea that that's going to take an audience member out of the movie for the same reason you know what i mean like yeah. I, it's a it's a fair concern i think um but at the same time i, I also want to give scorsese the credit like he spent so much time on this this movie was in post-production for so long and the dollar signs just kept like racking up in terms of how much the movie cost so you have to think that there was like a serious attention to you know detail there and and concern over whether or not that was going to work I also think I, I feel like also my argument's getting a little lost with the technology. I feel like you guys are c- concentrating so much on does the technology work? Does it not work? Uh, like how 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 does the filmmaker utilize it? Where part of my argument is for the actor. 
like Chapin, you say like, oh well, they just take some wrinkles off of De Niro's face. Right. But that's who. That, but yeah. Well, no, yeah, but like those wrinkles are who Robert De Niro is currently, and that's what he uses when he's acting. Yeah, and he was so better he, when the wrinkles weren't there. So maybe that was the. No, but when, <laughs> if he was all of a sudden really transported, you know, 30 years and his, you know, skin was tightened up and he, you know, he would, he would act differently. You, you kind of use the tools you no, have. It's I mean, true. I think that's a great point. Tommy Lee Jones uses his wrinkles. He's the best at using his wrinkles. Um, but he has those wrinkles. So if you were to take those away, you know, he there the would be a different, different performance yeah. in his mind. But, but, so I, but Jeremy, I feel- you're someone who appreciates theater. You, your your wife is is an actress in, in theater, and part of that is playing someone that you're not. And you could go back, and she could go and play. Yeah, but there's an no eighty-year-old woman, or she could play a, 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 a. But you put you put makeup on. You feel that makeup on. Like, yeah, there's also no extreme close-ups in in theater, though. That like, so that's I I don't know that that's a good exam a good comparison. But I just think I guess my point is that this technology, one could argue. I'm not saying that it is, but one one could argue the technology is giving actors the ability to play parts they never could. Okay. So it, yeah, right. but I will. I feel like all right. If that's what yeah. happens, okay. If we if we watch The Irishman and we see Scorsese de-aged and his performance, <laughs> Scorsese's is not in not, it. I mean, uh, if we see uh, De Niro de-aged, we they, don't know that. Of course, they, of course Scorsese is in it. They made they made Scorsese you know, six foot five. That's what they did on this one. <laughs> you see De Niro de-aged and. It is as authentic as a performance as we saw from him in the '70s. Then maybe we'll change our tune. But I, I am 100% with Jeremy here. Like I think the technology that just fucks with the appearance of the characters is detrimental to the performances. And I don't think there's a way to fix. That. I don't think there's a, a way to change that. I think that's always going to be the case. And it, and it has nothing to do with like me being like, oh, these poor actors have to act in front of a green screen or have to act a certain way because they know X, Y, or Z is going to be changed. I'm talking about it as an audience member that I think it's going to impact the performance. Yeah, and I feel like my argument is going to the appreciation (laughs) of an actor and what they have to do. And, you know, if they can't get into the headspace of like, oh, we're just going to put some dots on you and and you'll look younger. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it, look, if so, if you guys go on the Irishman IMDb page, you have the, you know, the poster and then you've got the still shot from the trailer of De Niro and then you scroll down a little bit and it's got this, you know, IMDb, what roles did Robert De Niro nearly play video? And it's got a picture of him in Taxi Driver. If he looks like that, as a younger De Niro in The Irishman, I, don't I will think they be make convinced. Him that, look that young. I don't think he's supposed <laughs> that, to be that young. That'd be amazing. I'd be convinced. I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. We'll have to go see that three and a half hour movie. We're gonna age just fucking watching it. <laughs> uh, All right. All right. I think well, that. Uh, what were up. some of you guys' top fives? I have to know. Okay, so Lee proposed the top five of monsters we thought we might be able to to uh, to kill kill, um, and then and he, how, then and, he backed and out midway. I was like, because I couldn't. I only do, found two. Didn't even want to do had, the. 
Well, I had I, two I good ones. I didn't know that Harvey Keitel's in The Irishman, too. Uh, it's, he's bringing out back everybody. Yeah. Just um, give me give me the, the, the highlights. Okay, my funniest one was the monster It Follows, because all you have to do is not have sex, and I did that for a long oh. period of time. <laughs> Very good. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what did I have? I had uh, the, the amphibian man from... Um, Shape of Water. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I don't know, dry yeah, him out. just go to the desert. <laughs> just go <laughs> somewhere where he just, yeah. He shrivels I, um, up like a raisin. So the one the one I came up with was to kill the T-Rex in Jurassic Park was to train the raptors to do it. Yeah, didn't we and do And I was this? like, that was, would make a good this, movie. Wasn't that Jurassic World? <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. So, but the real, the serious one I had was the, the um, a quiet place. I was like, just make a ticking time bomb, and they'll go to the. They'll hear the ticking. They'll go to the bomb, and they'll blow up. Oh my god! How are you gonna make it? Without I, making noise. I didn't get that. I don't know. That's what. And then I then I <laughs> text you guys. Then I text you guys. I was like, what do you guys think Actually, about not doing a top five? My my best one was uh, the plants from the happening. <laughs> Climate change. Yeah. yeah just, Climate change. Solved. Problem solved. <laughs> But isn't that why they started in the first place? I don't know. Did I did I follow any of that? Uh, um, yeah, it was a terrible top five tape and one of your worst ideas. Okay, get out of here. This was your idea. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, yo, you just say it on the podcast, though. That makes it true. Uh, it's true. Everything we say in here is true. I had the thing on there because they just like I just stay away from everybody, and the thing like doesn't even move. It's like somebody's head with tentacles. It like isn't meant to so move well. I I was trying to figure out the thing too, and then I was like, God, that's a hard one to kill. <laughs> and then there was some others that I was think trying to think of ways to kill it, and I was like, the way they kill it in the movie is pretty good. So you know, that's why I just gave up. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fixed podcast. Uh, write in, email us, get uh, feedback at getyourfilmfixedpodcast.com. Tell these guys how wrong they are about the masterpiece that is Ridley Scott's Alien. Coming up, we have a lot of exciting news, guys. We are going to be trying to get our Parasite podcast out this week as well. Um, the Palm Dior, as Jeremy says, winner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, Parasite, <laughs> and then we're gonna go see The Irishman, which comes out Friday. So, uh, yeah, Martin Scorsese's first exciting movie in quite a while. We also got The Lighthouse on the agenda. Yeah, The Lighthouse. Knives Out. Um, Knives Out coming out soon. Knives Out. A lot of great movies. It's fixie season, everybody. Oh yeah. We got get your ballots ready. We gotta we gotta get them all in before uh, the old uh, baby yeah. fist comes. Yeah, Jeremy's fucked. He's yeah. <laughs> I got to I got to every day have to watch a movie. <laughs> I'm staying. I'm finishing my call. Enjoying my coffee. <laughs>